Caleb. And I'm Elise. And you're listening to Happily Scaried, a horror podcast for newlyweds and nearly deads. Elise, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. I haven't seen you in a while. I know. It's been... When's the last time we recorded a podcast? It's less time than before. It's less time than before. Like we're doing better. Yeah. But it has been Maybe a while. Maybe it was beginning of the summer, I think. No, really? I've, it's been that long? I think so. I don't even remember what our last episode was. No, we're very consistent. No, we've been putting these out once a week for the last year. Yeah, if you guys haven't been getting them, you should probably contact your podcaster. Oh, we did men back on June 9th. Gotcha. Yeah, so it has been. Uh, I do want to wish you a happy anniversary, though. We've technically been on the air for... On the air. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that in my time hop the other day. Over a year. That's pretty exciting. And we have six episodes to (laughs) show for it. (laughs) Yeah, that's about right. Uh, That's not so bad. No. once every other month. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. I think we want to do more. Yeah, we definitely do. We just, um, you know, things are busy. Yeah. I think the biggest, the thing that holds us back the most, or at least holds me back the most in recording podcasts is the production angle of it. What, the editing you mean? Yeah, just editing and putting everything in. And it really doesn't take that long, but it's just long enough to where it's like, it feels like work. We used to edit podcasts as a side job. Yeah. And I think that's probably maybe some of my resistance. I love talking. I love people listening to me talk. I know you love talking. But I don't like working on my own talking. You did in the first few episodes. Yeah, it was fun. It was novel. It was new. Yeah. But now it's just reminding me of that old job that I had. Yeah, but this is more fun. Yeah, this is... The content is more fun. The content is more fun. (laughs) But since it has been since the beginning of summer, Mm -hmm. since we have put out an episode, we decided to do kind of a mega episode. Don't worry, it's probably not going to be much longer. A mega? Oh, okay. Just that we are covering more than one thing today. Mm-hmm. We are going to be covering Pet Cemetery. Now, you may be asking the question, are you going to talk about the book or the movie or the other movie? And the answer is yes. Exactly. Now, one caveat I should say is that... Cat-viot. Cat-viot. <laughs> We're not talking about Pet Cemetery 2 which was a sequel to the original 1989 movie. And I think it was also directed by Mary Lambert that did the first one. We didn't even watch that one. I was going to say, I I thought we talked about watching that one. We talked about it, but we never got around to it. But that's fine. I feel like that would maybe detract from what we're trying to do here, which is to do... Well, no one cares about that one. (laughs) I mean, if we talked about that one, it would just be to inform people. Yes. And they wouldn't care. And so this is more of a, uh, this is our definitive take on the Pet cemetery lore and mythos, if you will. Yeah. Although we did just finish it, what, a month ago at this point? Probably something like that. So just kind of a warning that it's a little rusty, at least in my mind. Do you remember where our Pet cemetery journey began or when it began? I don't remember the details, but I know that you somehow bought us two very old Pet cemetery books, and we said we were going to read them together, and we started it, and I think I got maybe like 15 pages in, if I'm being generous. Yeah. And I don't know if you even started ever. I did. Oh, how far did you get? Probably around like 15 the chapters are, um, the chapters can be either really short or like a normal length chapter. And maybe I got to like two or three chapters into it, like not super far into the story, but yeah. And we so, just fell off. Yeah. Do you remember why we started? Um, well, I remember that I got us copies of the book because we both had never read a Stephen King book before. And this is our only Stephen King book that either of us have ever read. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it was right. We were interested because the 2009, 2019 rather, that remake had just come out and we saw it and we're like, oh, that was kind of fun. Um, But it was getting mixed reviews from people. Like a lot of fans didn't like it. 
And so I was like, well, maybe we should read the original story. And then we saw them, we saw a couple copies of this, like the same edition at a used bookstore and we got them and we were going to read it for like, you know, doing kind of a fun fall Halloween spooky book together. And we started it and fell off and then it's a very large book and i think for me i just felt overwhelmed you're a very fast reader though comparatively i've discovered it's, but it's a big book Still, nonetheless you've burned through it really quickly um but i did too but yeah, I, it was i took really me did. a lot of effort to try to get because you became captivated so I you did. couldn't put it down cat pervaded no that's not. yeah it's really good <laughs> leave it in Cut it, cut it, cut it. Uh, cut that, cut that, cut that. No, we don't want to say that because we'll get a copyright infringement from... <laughs> they would. From they the, absolutely would. From the gang. It's always sunny podcast. But the gang sues. The gang sues this little scurried. podunk podcast that yeah. nobody listens to. Yeah. That's not true. You're listening to it right now. So we ended up on a whim. I started reading Pet Cemetery. Like a month ago, got through it pretty quickly. Then you started maybe like a day or two later and you got through it pretty quickly. And then we decided, okay, now that we've read the definitive uh, version, which is Stephen King's 1983 novel, um, we'll watch Pet Cemetery, the 1989 one, which I had seen before and you hadn't. And then we rewatched the 2019 version. And uh, how was your overall feeling about Pet Cemetery? Like all the different. Pet cemeteries. So while you were reading it, you kind of uh, gave me the impression that it was like a roller coaster of emotions because you're laying there reading it and you were like, whoa, I just don't even know what's real, what's not. Um, and then when I read it, uh, it was, I guess it just was a little bit underwhelming compared to what you made it sound like. But I really did enjoy it overall, and I, I knew I had seen the newer movie, so I kind of knew the basic story, but to be honest, I couldn't remember much about how it ended or the middle part. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I just, I've only done the thing where you read a full book and then you watch the movie afterwards. I've only done that a couple of times. Yeah. And I really like to do that. Yeah. I've just discovered it's really fun to compare them. And you also feel like you have all the backstory and then yeah. you watch the movie and you're like, I know what really happened behind the scenes. It's like reality show. You have the director's cut. Yeah. In yeah. Your head. Yeah. I like that too. The only thing I don't like about that sometimes is that anytime I'm reading a book, I'll usually cast actors I know and the roles of the, mm -hmm. you know, and so sometimes that can be kind of um, jarring to, uh, to go into um, the movie experience after having done that in your head. But um, having seen the original Pet Cemetery back in 1989, not I didn't see it back in 1989. Yeah, you're a baby. I was just a baby then. But having seen that version, those were actually the characters I had in my head when I was reading the book. So that was fun. Yeah. And I think mainly that's because Fred Gwynn, who played Judd. Um, yeah, you love that I guy. I love him. All of my profile pictures on everything is of Fred Gwynn playing Herman Munster. And none with me. And... Well, I've done that in the past before. No, that's not true. Facebook is with you. But it's Fred Gwynn, and uh, and I edited him to be wearing a Georgia Bulldogs hat right after they won their national championship. And so, I don't know. That just struck me as a fun idea. And I've had that. That's probably the longest profile picture I've ever maintained on yeah, any of my social it's platforms. It's really weird. Love it so much. Super weird. Love the monsters. I'm very excited about this Rob Zombie movie that's Are coming you? out. I actually really am. I'm okay, because I know you wavered. I'm I'm under no illusion that it's going to be like a masterpiece. It's not going to like change the. Do game. you think it's going to be good? I think it'll be interesting. I really do. It may be. It may surprise me. That's kind of how I feel about Rob Zombie stuff, though. I've never gone into something thinking. This is going to be the most amazing experience. Mm -hmm. And I've never walked out thinking that changed my life. But there have been a few that I have really come to appreciate later. Like his Halloween 2. 
I think it's really, it's a really. Wasn't that the one that I said was just like too much? I think so. Yeah. I thought that was really good. I didn't care for the, his original reboot Halloween, but his second one that he did was felt like his own Rob Zombie. Like it felt like if Rob Zombie had done a Halloween movie to begin with, like he was the creator of the franchise. So is there a lot of Rob Zombie discourse? Is he, does he have like a fan base and are people like wild about him? And um, stuff? I mean, I guess so. I I feel like he's kind of like, I mean, in the like late 90s and early 2000s, he was very edgy and cool. And mm-hmm. I remember, you know, people were very impressed with him as like a stage persona. Mm-hmm. When he started directing movies, like all the sort of like, you know. The guys that were like super into like Mudvayne and Linkin Park were like, yeah, this rocks. So you. Yeah, yeah, guys <laughs> like me. Um, but no, I don't think there's a lot of discourse around him. A lot of people like him. He just seems like a just a good old fashioned wife guy. Loves to cast his wife in movies as the as the either the the well, I don't think she's ever been a final girl. She's more of the demented Psycho killer and a Wait, lot of Wait, didn't he have two different wives or is that a different guy I'm thinking about? I think you're thinking of somebody else. Oh, I know who I'm thinking of. The guy who did Midnight Mass. Oh, yeah. Because we watched an old movie of his and he cast his girlfriend or wife and then later he cast his wife, other yeah. wife. Yes. <laughs> okay. And she's been in a lot of his stuff. Yeah. Men love to cast their wives in their movies. <laughs> Men love to get remarried and then cast their... <laughs> yeah. New wife and roles that they would have cast their yeah. girlfriend in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, who knows about how that's going to be. But anyways, I love the monsters. <laughs> and uh, we'll see. Let us know if there's discourse on Rob Zombie. And also, if you are excited to see the new Monsters movie. I'm just going to go ahead and say nobody's excited to see the new <laughs> Monsters movie. It's exclusively me. I know. Uh, and then like a couple other nerds. Are you just trying to commit to the bit? No, I really like, I love the monsters. It's like, they were like my, one of my gateways into like horror stuff. I remember when I was a kid, I'd watch it on like Nick at night or TV land or whatever. I can't remember where it used to come on. It's probably TV land. I would think. Probably. And, uh, and I was really drawn in. I always liked the universal monsters. My parents kind of introduced me to that stuff and I'd watch this and it was like a funny, silly, lighthearted version. Mm. And it wasn't scary at all. Um, and I remember as a kid, I thought the show was called The Monsters. And my mom's like, no, it's The Monsters. And I was like, but they're monsters. And she was like, it's like a joke. Like she couldn't explain she to, to me. explain the joke And too. I just, I, that used to aggravate me. I was like, why can't they just be The Monsters? Yeah, you had no sense of humor back then. Didn't have a sense of humor. Um, but yeah, I've always just liked The Monsters. And so there, I like them more like than the Adams family, which there's also a new series coming out from Tim Burton about Wednesday. Yeah, I get those confused sometimes because they're just like carbon copies of each That's other. the interesting thing about the Munsters and the Adams family. They came out within like a month of each other. Um, they both ran for a couple seasons and then both went off the air around the same time. And so I've actually looked into that. I was like, did somebody steal somebody's idea? And it was, it's just one of those weird examples of parallel thinking. Where like, It's probably supernatural. Uh, yeah, I think so. But you know, it's like when A Bug's Life and Ants came out around <laughs> yeah, the same time. Yeah, that was weird. Or like... Um, that was really weird. Um, there is, what's it? Like Olympus Has Fallen and White House Down or something like that. Like about mm. two movies about terrorists like getting into the White House. There's just like these weird historical, you know, parallels that happen in movies and television where two similar ideas go to production at the same time. It's like fraternal twins. Yeah. That's kind of cute. Yeah, that is kind of cute. <laughs> well, speaking of fraternal twins, mm-hmm. let's talk about the mama slash papa of mix and that is the pet sim i'm losing you with this metaphor <laughs> the pet cemetery novel and mm-hmm. the two offspring pet cemetery 1989 and pet cemetery so is the mom and dad the book the mom and dad is the book and then they birthed the two movies yeah, yeah. one in 1989 and one in 2019 yes wow okay they're very you know they're 
You never know. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's get into it. Okay. We're going to switch it up a little bit this time. A lot of times we'll do a letterbox summary of the movie that we are watching. Um, but because we're talking about three different works, um, I'm just going to read what the Wikipedia article has to say about it. Because everybody knows that Wikipedia is the definitive source of information. So Pet Cemetery is a 1983 horror novel by American writer Stephen King. Uh, the novel was nominated for a World Fantasy Award for Best Novel in 1984 and adapted into two films, one in 1989 and one in 2019. And then uh, a little bit of background on the book. In 1979, King was a writer in residence at the University of Maine, and the house he was renting was adjacent to a major road where dogs and cats were often killed by oncoming trucks, which is kind of the plot of the book. And after his daughter's cat was killed by a truck along the road, he explained the death of the pet to his daughter and buried the cat. But three days later, King imagined what would happen if a family suffered the same tragedy, but the cat came back to life fundamentally wrong. And so then he imagined what would happen if a family's young son were also killed by a passing truck. And he decided to write a book based on these ideas and that book would be a retelling of the monkey's paw, which is kind of a trope of the, you know, you make a wish and it comes true, but not in the way you want, which was a short story by W.W. Jacobs in 1902 about uh, parents who resurrect their son after they wish for that to happen. And King has gone on record stating that of all the novels he's written, Pet Cemetery is the one which genuinely scared him the most. What do you think about that? I don't have any thoughts. What do you think of that? Um, I think I understand where he's coming from. And uh, this is where we kind of have a difference of opinion on the work itself. I said, kind of when I was to the halfway point of the book, I said it was an emotional roller coaster. It was really heavy. And you got to that same portion and it didn't affect you as much. And I think the reason why is because he was writing about the death of a child. Um, in the case of the novel and the original film, the death of their son, Gage, who was like a you know toddler age, two or three. Um, and so something about the way he was just describing the funeral proceedings and um, just the gruesomeness of the death itself just felt so heavy to me. And I know he was writing about that from the perspective of what if he had lost his son, because on that road in that um, house that they had in Maine while he was that professor, um, he did tell a story where one of his sons got to the road real quick and he grabbed him just in time. But then he let his mind wander like what would have happened if we lost that son. And, um, and so I think as a parent like that, the thought of that, that what if scenario is just so terrible um, but the way he really stepped into Lewis Creed, who is the protagonist, the Creed family grief by going through like what they were feeling when they were eating at the, the meal before the funeral, um, what they were thinking about doing with their son's clothes, giving it to Salvation Army or Goodwill or something. It's just like all those things just felt really like terrible and dark. And, and so that, like, that impressed me from him, uh, from the, the perspective of him really being able to step into that voice, I feel like in a very super authentic way. Um, so I do understand why he said that this would affect him the most, because it seems like it's the most personal thing um, that he's written about. But didn't he say scariest? Yeah. And I think the idea of scariest of like losing a child is the scariest thing. And, and then maybe getting that child back, but having your dreams dash because they are not the same person that you buried, you know, yeah. it's like you get a miracle, but it's a dark miracle. It turns out to be instead of a dream, it's a nightmare. Yeah. I guess I don't see it as scary as much as I see it as just sad. Yeah. I could see why you'd say that. I think it could be like splitting hairs a little bit, like, you know, <laughs> just in my opinion, yeah. you know, um, it's scary. The idea of almost having lost someone that was so close to you, you know, like, I think if like one of our, you know, we don't have kids, 
But like if we were playing with our nieces and Annie was running towards the road and a truck came by and you literally snatched her back, like I think that would haunt you for days thinking about like, what if I just not mm-hmm. like barely wrapped my finger around her waistline yeah. or something? I think it would just rattle you so much. And it wasn't just sad, but it was, you know, that what could have been, but like scary, the thought of what might have been. So I, I think that's where that's coming from. I guess I just look at, that is like a totally different fear. Like, I don't know, like just more of an adrenaline rush rather than something that keeps me up at night. Yeah. So when I, when I read about that in the book, I, I don't like it. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's very, it is very dark and emotional and stuff. I want to, I want to get past that and get to like the spooky stuff. So you're looking for more of the supernatural. Yeah, it's just, there's a million books you can read if you want to be sad. Yeah. I'm not looking for that, you know? I understand why you would, you know, I guess, you know, horror affects different people in different ways. Like, you know, if you watch Buried with Ryan Reynolds and he's buried alive, like that is the scariest thing that could ever happen to somebody who's claustrophobic. Um, but somebody that's like, nobody would be happy or comfortable, but for other people that just would not be, you know, so maybe it's like, it just doesn't affect you personally. So that's, you know, that's not the whole, that's not the particular genre of horror. Like you're always freaked out by break-in and invasions and stalking stuff because you're really scared of stuff like that. But not to say that I'm not, but I just, that stuff doesn't get my blood racing like yours like we watched that movie the other night um i can't remember what it was called it was when they go to that haunted house oh yeah is it called terrified maybe no that's a different movie that's with the little ghost boy or whatever i can't remember what it was called but you i remember just distinctly you saying like that movie just upset you so much and it like Because here's the thing. Let's talk about haunted houses for just like one second. Haunt. I think it was just called haunt. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, You should never go to a haunted house. And here's why. Because that is the perfect place for somebody who's a creep to come work or even just come visit and pull you out of next door or just slit your throat as they're walking by. Like it's dark. It's spooky. Anything can happen in there. People don't know what's real and what's you know, a a spooky bit. So the more, you know, well, I've been to a haunted house once when I was in high school in Atlanta, we have this um, haunted house called netherworld that kind of rotates around. And I feel like I got my fill of that stuff. So, um, but you know, we did get a question from one of our friends and listeners to the podcast. Mr. Adam Jones wanted to know, is the book worth reading? If not, do you have any horror or suspense novels that you'd like to recommend? So to Adam, would you say that the book is worth reading or no? I think it's worth reading, but it kind of depends on what you're looking for. Um, I don't regret having read it, but I do think I would rather read something that's more spooky and less dealing with grief, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, just cause I feel like that's not what I'm there for. Sure. <laughs> and again, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I had a great time, but Adam would have to establish what he's looking for in a yeah. book for me to answer that correctly. Adam, I think I would recommend this to you because I know that you are a person that is in ministry. And so I think it might be interesting to you to read um how people deal with grief um and how that and how sort of a supernatural projection of that grief might like tell us more about what people are feeling psychologically and spiritually and emotionally so i'd recommend it for that reason um one of the 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 main motifs and stories um in the book is the story from john's gospel about the raising of lazarus And so there is kind of an interesting question um, about life after death, about um, grief and and, um, 
bereavement during the death of a loved one. So I definitely think it's interesting from that perspective. Now, I will agree with Elise that if you were looking for just a from the beginning to end, supernatural, haunting, you know, kind of um, really fast paced, get your blood racing, goosebumps inducing story. This is probably not what you'd want to go for. Um, but if you're okay with sort of a mystical, mysterious, um, sort of blurring the lines between reality and the paranormal, uh, I think this is a great book. Yeah. Here's what I think about Stephen King. I think his stories are more a sit around the campfire and tell a spooky ghost story type of like it's campy or like it's more simple or it's, I don't know. Sometimes there's just like, uh, you know, uh, a goblin sits on your chest and, you know, sucks your breath while you're sleeping. It's like, I don't know, old wives tales or yeah, something. Yeah. That's what they feel like to me. Yeah. So I think there's a place for that, of course. But again, if you're wanting something... Um, I was going to say darker, but I mean, the sun dying is kind of dark. So, but you know what I mean? Like something more, I guess, fast paced, like you put it, is a good way. Yeah. It's not like, uh, you know, it's not like a lot of modern horror movies that are very, you know, breakneck speed, a lot of death, a lot of, you know, jump scares. It's not like one of those. Um, Yeah. It's very... It takes uh, a while to get through. Yeah, slow burn. It's nearly 600 pages, but... So I guess that is a qualified yes from us about whether you want to read it. And those are the reasons why. So Adam, thanks for writing in. I appreciate your question. So what about the... um, What about the books or the movies did you not like i mean do you feel like you've expressed your gripe or is there anything you'd like to go on oh yeah i didn't really i didn't really mention a gripe when it comes to picking a gripe i really just was going off of comparing all three together so obviously the book is the best because you get all the details and all the relationships having plenty of time to build in 600 pages and it's very it's very thorough Um, so then in comparing the book to the first movie, uh, you know, we don't get Norma at all, which I felt like was weird. Um, there's a lot that was the same, but really just the relationships. The first movie is a lot closer of an adaptation than the second. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that the relationships, I feel like don't have time to, 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 bloom yeah and um just there's just backstory that obviously you're going to be missing and i don't want to be one of those people that's like the movie's not even worth watching because the book is so good (laughs) i don't want to be like that but of course you just know logically if there's 600 pages in a book you're going to get more out of it yeah um, so that, that was kind of my gripe with the first movie. And then when the second movie came along, um, we still don't have Norma. I don't know what they have against Norma, Yeah. but we don't have Norma in there, which is Judd's wife. And, um, they also switched which child died, which is just kind of funny to me. <laughs> they yeah. said, let's change it up. Yeah. And then they made silly changes like... Judd's dog was supposed to be Spot in the book, and they changed it to one of the other dog names that's mentioned Biffer. in the book. Yeah. I mean, they just... It's like, why? Yeah. Why do you have to make these minor changes? What reason do you have for just, like, switching it up I, like that? I think sometimes when people are making adaptations, they know if it's well-trod material that they'll just, like, lose interest, even if it's, like, really closely adapted. So they just changed some stuff up to see, hey, maybe this will work in our version. So, Yeah, I just think that that's silly because he doesn't talk about that dog that much in that movie. So you could have just stuck with Spot. That's what I think. Yeah. Oh, and my gripe with both of the movies is that the dead cat on the side of the road Mm -hmm. just seemed way too real to me. (laughs) And it disturbed me. Yeah. Because they were like moving its neck all around and it was just flailing and ugh, it just looked like a real dead cat. Yeah. I didn't like that. 
And then it said no cats were harmed. At the end of both movies, it did say that because I looked out I for that. But I guarantee you, at least in the first one, that they just sedated it and flopped it around. Oh, yeah. With, yeah, church, Which I, I think. think is harm. Don't you? <laughs> you just well, no, stick not a needle in a cat and you're like, he's fine. He just can't feel for eight hours. No. Maybe not the most humane, but it's not. You would never do it. No, but, you know, in 1989... For a good movie. I'm just trying not to think about it as much as you. I, think. I know. When I brought it up to you, you were like, let's just move on. And I said, why can't we talk about this? This is important. Um, my gripes were kind of you touched on this. Uh, Norma was such an interesting part of the book as Judd's wife. And at the very end, um, she's cast as kind of like this pure, like sweet lady. Um it's getting old and, you know, just kind of dissolving with her arthritis. And so you always feel like really sympathetic for her. But there's a big reveal at the end of the book that she was actually not always faithful to Joe. Spoiler Judd. alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> I'm assuming if you're listening to this, it's because you're okay with spoilers. But Judd in the book also mentions that he had some trysts with some prostitutes, I think. Um, so you get the sense, um, so it's kind of a shocking revelation. It kind of shows you that even in this sort of picturesque marriage and life together, that there's still dark secrets that get dug up after death that are kind of disenchanting. Um, so I really liked the, the power of that and how disturbing it was because when you hear, it's it's Gage, the little boy that's come back from the dead, that is saying all these things about Norma. It's like really, it's really upsetting to hear. Yeah. Um, and they just wrote her out. She was not even mentioned in the first movie. Um, and her role was played, the, the death of um, a female character um, in that movie was of Missy, who was their um, essentially like cleaning lady. And didn't really figure prominently into the book. And I don't know why they shifted to her instead of Norma. But it, it was fine, I guess. And in the second movie, they mentioned Norma. And you see a picture of her. And you even see like kind of a ghost or demon version of her or whatever later in the movie. Um, but again, she plays no part as um, as a character in the movie. And so I, I thought that was a shame that they kind of truncated that. I get... If you're trying to adapt this 600-page work into an hour and a half movie, or maybe an hour and 45 minutes at the most, how you'd want to trim the fat. But I think they could have done justice to Norma's character without totally overriding her. But I just thought that she and Judd were such great characters in the book. And in in the first movie, where he's played by Fred Gwynn, I thought he was really like excellent depiction of that character to a lesser degree when he was depicted by um, his name is escaping me. I can't believe I've forgotten this. I said, oh, that's Lord Farquaad. That's always how I remember him. Um, John Lithgow, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I I just think uh, I think to add to your point, um, really to have done justice, I think, to the full story, this would have been better as a miniseries. I get how that would not have been profitable and probably not as many people would have wanted to tune in for like four episodes of a miniseries than they would just watch like an hour and a half movie. But um, yeah, I don't think the characters really had time to develop. You didn't see that fraternal bond, um, the father-son bond developing between Judd and um, Lewis and um, in either of the uh, movies, especially the second one. It was like yeah. they didn't have a relationship at all. Um, and so I, I think some of that was kind of disappointing. And some of the uh, some of the horror around Gage's funeral um, of the confrontation of, um, I can't remember the, the, the father-in-law's name. Me either. Um, confronting Lewis in a really violent, upsetting, drunken way was like, it was just so horrible. Like, here you are mourning the death of a child. And in the first movie, they showed a little bit more of that, but still didn't let it play out. Um, and so, yeah, I think 
unfortunately, when you adapt movies like this out of bigger works that you, if you want to get through the major story beats, a lot of times you have to sacrifice character development. And that's the number one thing that really gets you interested even in the story, I think. So that's my biggest gripe about it is that taking out Norma was just kind of, you know, um, an indicative of how they were cutting a lot of the essential and really good parts of the story out in both works. Um, but I really did like the first, I'll say I like the original 1989 one better. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's more true to the yeah. book. Yeah. So what were your likes? Um, well, about the, um, about the book, uh, I really, and I've already commented on this. I felt so heavy during the second part of the book. It was divided up into a bunch of different chapters, but really, um, three parts. And the third part was just like the, almost the epilogue, but the second part where you come back in the story and it starts in a really jarring way Again, spoiler alert, like, you know, it's been a few weeks since, you know, Gage was killed or something like that. And you're like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> and it was just that. like, it was even knowing because we've seen the movies. He did that with Norma too. I think he said like, you know, four days after Norma died. And I was like, wait, did I miss Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, he almost blunts the force of that happening. Um, but then as, and you wonder like, I wondered like, is this going to like make the the telling of what happened? Like the flashbacks not really heavy but they did it was so heavy so i um just i i just think um after reading the book the whole all the funeral proceedings around dealing with gage or even when lewis is crazed and goes and digs him back up so he can bury him back in this uh this indian burial ground the micmac burial ground like he did with church the cat uh, and i mean he's weighing all the pros and cons like will he come back like himself or will he be you know, mentally handicapped or, um, I mean, all of that stuff just was like, it wasn't scary traditionally in the way, but it was like the fear of having to make those decisions and it just felt so dark and I, that to really me, affected was, me. And so I thought that was powerful and I really liked that. To me, it was more scary when in the book he's describing the whole process of trying to figure out how to get into the cemetery, the normal one. Yeah. <laughs> to dig up Gage, um, like having to climb a tree and try to get over and throw his tools over the fence. And then someone almost sees him several times. And yeah. like that, the way he described that whole thing, like that felt like your adrenaline's going because yeah. you don't know what's going to happen if he's going to get caught or just knowing you're doing something extremely wild and there'd be no excuse if you get caught. Yeah. So I'd normally do that. I think, well, if somebody sees you, you can say this. But in that scenario, what do you say? Yeah. Oh, I just wanted to see my son again. Real I quick. mean, and there's such a build up to that. I mean, I remember like, you know, him talking, Stephen King talking about like, oh, um, uh, you know, he watched like four hours of sitcoms and they ate like a terrible bland meal at the, you know, the Howard Johnson motel yeah. dining room or whatever. And just like, you know, it's coming, but he takes such a slow, long time to get there that it's agonizing. Like, it's really like, it feels like torture in a good way. Yeah. Um, just knowing what the end result is going to be. And the whole time, Lewis is thinking like, you know, am I really doing this? And then having that sort of, um, that sort of thought running through his head, like, I think this cemetery or this burial ground is like compelling me. Like it was almost like a supernatural force. Like death was alive and personified and malevolent yeah. and trying to get him to do. And even Judd thought like, Oh man, maybe I was the one that got your son killed. And because I was so curious and drawn to this, burial ground and like wanted to go back there like i set all this in motion Give a life take a life yeah and so it was it, it, you know that whole latter half of the book made you really feel the weight of every decision and so i really like that about the book they don't really have time to develop that in the movies yeah um but i will say um some of the resurrection scenes with even church the cat um, or later with Gage or Ellie in the second one. We still don't know why they changed um, the child that died, other than maybe because Ellie was more of a personalized character. 
um, in the in the book, and so maybe it made sense to them that it was like, okay, so you've grown more attached to Ellie because she speaks and thinks, and Gage is just a baby; he doesn't talk. So uh, maybe they're thinking because you've grown attached to Ellie, her death would be more significant. I'm not really sure, um, but getting to see like the mangy cat come back and act very off-putting, or seeing. Ellie come back or Gage come back and them being not themselves um, is really unsettling. And so those um, depictions in the movie are really fun for that reason, because that's the scary part. And both of the, um, the novel and the movie and the other movie did a great job with the Zelda scenes. Um, those are always scary to read about, to see. Um, that is Rachel, who is Lewis's wife, her sister, who died of spinal meningitis when she was a child, and who is the reason why Rachel's so afraid to talk about death with her children and is so destroyed when Norma dies and when her son dies later. Um, those scenes were always really well done uh, in any of the mediums. Um, Another thing that they changed was Ellie's name. So, oh yeah, that's a funny thing. One in one version it was Eleanor, in one version it was Eloise, and in one version it was It was in the last movie we watched it was Eleanor. Okay. And then yeah. in the first movie um so the 2019 Eleanor 1989 it was Ellen. Oh, okay. Uh and then um uh oh gosh, it was Wasn't Eloise? Was it Elaine? No. Oh, I, God. I don't know that. now. But they change her. So she's called Ellie for short in all of them. But like, why? Why change her base name? <laughs> I don't understand that. Okay. So I looked it up. I figured it out. In the book, her full name is Eileen Creed, which always felt like old lady-ish to me. And then it's Ellen in the first movie, Eleanor in the second. But yeah, I don't know why they did that or just call her Ellie. Don't, you know. Yeah. It just, that was such a weird. They just had this, this itch to change things yeah, up. I guess so. Not very much. Yeah. But just a little bit. Yeah. Just keep you guessing. So, but that's what I really liked about those, um, the, not only the movies, but the, the books. What did you like? Well, you already mentioned it, but I really like the Zelda side story. I felt like that was the only thing in the movie that I remembered. <laughs> From back when I watched it years and years ago. Oh, really? I say years and years. It was 2019. But um, when I first watched it, that's what I found to be most scary. And then trying to remember the movie, that was all I could recall. That always spooked me out. I mean... As scary as it was, and I remember after, you know, when we started rewatching them, I remembered. Mm -hmm. But I, I totally blocked that out. That it's, didn't affect me in the same way. It's scary for your body be, to be doing something that you can't control. Um, and then it's scary to think of being like a young child and having to look after someone who's so really just insane and suffering and like mangled and like, and then. You having to feed her and her choking and her dying in front of you, like all that stuff is very like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely. And that's the ghost story component, I mm. think, that you talk about with um, Stephen King of like a young girl having to feed her like decrepit sister um, <laughs> as she decays from spinal meningitis. But one thing I thought was interesting about that story, too, is that um, he cast Zelda as like having gone not just insane with pain, but like she really fosters a hatred in her soul for um, her little sister at the time, Rachel, um, for being perfectly healthy. And and so that was something that was really unsettling too, is um, depicting this terminally ill person um, as holding and harboring so much uh, rage and bitterness against their family as they're dying. It felt really like haunting. And wishing their illness on their family yeah. members. Like, I'm going to come back haunt you and make your back like mine yeah. or whatever. There's no sentimentalism in that. Like, no, like, oh, you've been a good sister. And like, 
you know, like there's no, it's just like the reality of pain and suffering Mm -hmm. um, that is totally traumatizing to a child and to really anybody that would experience that. Um, So, yeah, I I thought the Zelda storyline was really, it really um, kicked it into the next gear. Yeah. Did you have any tropes that you wanted to mention? Well, you know me and you know that I like to ask questions. Yes. And, and anyone who knows me. It's your number one favorite thing to do. It's not. I wouldn't say it's my favorite thing to do. I would say it's essential for my being to continue existing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like a hobby I enjoy. <laughs> but the trope that that I... It took me a minute to think of what my trope would be because I didn't think of this as really a trope. But this may be more of a me thing. But in the book and the two movies, Judd getting him to just follow him blindly with the dead cat up past this area where it looks like you can't go, you'll slip and fall, you know, you'll kill yourself trying to climb over this and that. Yeah. They act like it's miles and miles from the house and, you know, doing all that walking, carrying shovels and dead child, dead cat, whatever. Um, I would just have a lot of questions. I just wouldn't be able to just, I just wouldn't continue following someone to a mysterious location with a mysterious intent. So you're telling me that when you heard a Titanic Wendigo and this haunted Indian burial ground make this like really earth shattering noise that you wouldn't go, uh, what was that? And then when Judd said, oh, I was only loons, that you wouldn't ask any more questions about that? I'm saying that when they arrived to the pet cemetery. <laughs> you would, yeah, I know. And he saying. says, no, let's keep going this way. I'd be like, why? Yeah. I'd be like, well, let's just go right here. I'd be like, well, what's over there? Well, it's just it's something you need to see. Well, what is it? Like, it just, you wouldn't be able to get me over there yeah. until you answered the questions. I'm not just going to follow blindly. And in the book, um, <clears throat> it made more sense because there was a really good relationship between Judd and Lewis. But in the movies, it's like, hey, just met you. Come on over here and bury your dead cat in this mystical ground. Yeah. Like, there's no way you would just follow a man you just met up into the deep dark woods and travel across all these sticks and branches where you were sure you were going to die. Like you just wouldn't do that. Cause in the book it was kind of like they had built trust and he was kind of like, Oh, just trust me. Like I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. That's a little more believable, but still I would probably just stand still and say, I will wait until you're ready to answer what we're doing. Yeah. I, um, you know, I'm, I don't, um, survive on questions like you do. Uh, but I still don't think I would have been like, just, you know, as unassuming and be like, okay, I'm just following this friendly man out to Indian burial grounds to bury this cat. I don't know why this is going to be more important for my daughter. If he, because he is tricking me essentially into thinking that um, it's better to bury the cat here than just at the pet cemetery. I just don't think, I mean, I would have just been like, no, I think the pet cemetery is fine. I, I don't think. And I'd... and I would I would also think about Ellie, and I would think, well, once I tell her her cat is dead, she'll want to go to the grave. Yeah. Right. So then I'm gonna have to take Ellie across this. What are, what do they call the thing of sticks? Oh, I can't remember. It had a specific. Um, it had a specific name in the book, yeah, but it was terrible. like where a bunch of dead trees fall and just kind of rot together. And there's like a bunch of branches, branches crisscross. Yeah. And, so whatever that is, yeah. like I'm going to have to take her over that too. And we're going to have to walk three, four miles out to this random patch of land that you made me bury the cat in just so she can see where he is. Like, yeah. no, we're not doing that. I'm yeah. like, I'm thinking ahead. Yeah. And that's why I would have to have my questions answered because there's too many, there's too many things I'd have to deal with to go all the way out there and bury the cat out there. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So the trope is just that in movies, in horror movies, I feel like people just go along with things instead of being like, wait, what's happening here? What's going on? What's the story behind this? Like inquiring minds want to know. Yeah, totally. 
Not Did sure. Did you have one? Not sure I really could come up with a trope. I've been thinking, and so I will. I guess I'll pass on my trope question. Sure. Uh, but as we were talking about this, to circle back to the likes, um, I loved Judd Crandall's accent. Um, <laughs> not only in the uh, the the book, which was kind of hard to to like suss out, you know, what that sort of. I think he said the Eastern Atlantic accent or something like that. The sort of New England. I'm not even sure what I, I had a hard time figuring out by reading sort of the transliterated phrases, but Fred Gwynn's like, I, you know, that kind of, uh, yeah. So when we <laughs> yeah, were reading it, kind of, that was fun. I loved that. When accent. we were reading it, I said, Caleb, what do you think it is to say a Y U H? Yeah. Like, what does that mean? What does yeah. that sound like? And you, I don't remember what you said at the time, but then as soon as we heard him say it in the movie, it just, yeah, I, I think felt I, so happy. I did something similar to the, uh, yeah, kind of. I think his more, his, his was like, hey, uh. yeah, <laughs> like kind of like that. Like you wanted to go up, hey, uh. yeah, and he goes, hey, uh. <laughs> I liked, I love it. I've, I constantly talk to you all the time about how, I bemoan the fact that regional accents are dying in America because there's... One of your many rants. Oh, my gosh. Um, there's this guy on, on TikTok. I actually know his name now. You should play some. Um, oh, yeah, I will. I'll pay this. Okay, so this is coming from Duncan Ng, I think is how you say his last name, I-N-G. And he is a dude that's probably in his mid-20s. And um, he has a uh, TikTok where he just talks about being a Southern gentleman, going to his Episcopal church and uh, drinking his mint juleps. And we'll play a little clip of that here. Hey, y'all. I was just sitting here this evening enjoying myself a mint julep since it's been a hot, humid day. And I was thinking about how the different faiths here in the South are and how funny they are and how unique they are. And I came up with three good pieces of advice. Number one, don't ever invite just one Baptist over to have a drink with you, because he'll drink everything. You've got to invite at least two so they won't drink in front of each other. Number two, where there are four Episcopalians, there's always bound to be a fifth. I have to say that one's pretty true in my experience, because I'm an Episcopalian. And the third piece of advice is, never pass up a Catholic wedding, because them folks know how to have fun. Here's to y'all. I absolutely love that guy's accent. It is so fantastic. It is like an old school, like a dying Southern accent uh, that's like, feels like coastal Carolina and Savannah and like, you know, old Mississippi accent. So I just love that. And so accents like that are dying. And so I, I love hearing Judd do his version of it. All right. As we're winding down here, um, we're getting to uh, one of our most famous segments. And that's a little segment called Scaredy Cats. First of all, before we get to the Scaredy Cat content, I want to say we need to really work hard with this microphone to get her to do like a big, loud meow. It's wild because she's pretty talkative now that she has you in her life. I talk to her all the time. Yeah. And Elise says that she talks more now than she ever has because I talked to her. Yeah, because her and I, before she met you, we just kind of had an understanding, you know? We just kind of look at each other from across the room, like, you know what's up. But now you're always like, hi, hi. I have and full, so she I have full back. conversations with her. I yeah. ask her questions all the time. I make her say insane things. Yes. Always rhetorical, though. She never answers me. You do ask her a lot of questions. I don't know why. I just love talking like, for as, her and through her. Are you a baby from heaven? Um, I are you have the asked cutest her. baby in the world. <laughs> things, <laughs> things of that nature. Sorry for that disgusting cough. My favorite question I've ever asked her is: She a baby from the cute part of heaven? So I don't think I've heard you ask that one specifically. Yeah. Just from heaven is what I've heard. Um, I haven't asked it in a while. Is but there an ugly part of heaven? That's the funny. Part of that question. It's like, I'm assuming that there are like different parts of, there's different gentrified parts of heaven where like the ugly people are and the cute people are. And so, yeah, this place is supposed to be totally like 
um, unified and egalitarian with no sort of distinctions. I am asking her if she's from the cute and thus this exclusive part of This is one of those things that you do just as a bit for yourself. Yes. No one else knows about it. No one else cares about it. Yeah. But you care. Yeah. And that's what's important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's nice. But to get back to Scaredy Cats, mm-hmm. we did indeed have not only just a regular animal, but we had... A dead one. I mean, we had three primo Scaredy Cats. Yeah. They were all the same character. Church, better known. Hey, that's the name they didn't change. Winston Churchill was the name of the cat. I don't know why a child in the 80s, especially a girl... Would have named her cat Winston Churchill. Um, but sure. And he went by church. And in the book, he's described as having a white coat. And in the first movie, he is a Russian blue with a little fat face and green eyes. And in the the third or the second movie, um, it's kind of like a long-haired tabby. So church is, you know, he changes up his breed and... And his look in all the movies, but he's adorable in all three depictions. Although I don't feel like they showed him enough before he died in either of the movies. Yeah, yeah. We I want to see him a little bit we more. We didn't really get to to enjoy. And I love when I see a cat in a movie and I just think, they don't even know. They don't even know they're on film. Speaking of Stephen King books and cats, it was not a book, but Cat's Eye that Stephen King anthology mm-hmm. movie that we watch where there's a cat that just kind of runs through. I mean, the cat plays no significant part in the story other than it's just a cat. In the first and he two. does. Well, oh, I was going to say, in the first two segments, he's just there. Uh, but in the third one, he plays a big part. And man, that is the cutest cat. He's really cute. I think he was called Sebastian in the second segment. And then she called him, um, uh, Drew Barrymore as a child, called him General Oh yeah. in general. the last. But man, that was the cutest cat. <laughs> and like we could not get over how cute that cat was. So that was my favorite cat that I've seen in a movie recently. But loved all three churches. I loved him when he was alive. I even loved him when he was undead and kind of evil and a henchman with Gage that helped drag souls down to the underworld. Still loved him even then. And wow, so, that's you know, a little much. I mean, a cat is a cat to me. You well, know? it even, is and it isn't. Even when they're, you know, desiccating, you know, bird and rat bodies and uh, smearing blood everywhere and attacking their human owners. Hey, I had a dog that brought a dead mouse into my bed at night, so. Speaking of disgusting animals, I'll never forget this cat that's at our feet right now, looking so cute and rolled over. How one time we were in bed and she jumped on the bed with a piece of used floss that she fished out of the trash can. And I screamed about how she was a garbage cat and we're going to send her to the pound. Um, I don't think that's as bad, though, as when she just similarized. Yeah. Uh, She likes to sleep between our heads and gives us no personal space. And uh, for me, she likes to kick me in the head while I'm trying to sleep and push me out of her way. And then for me, she likes to use her front arm and just scrape lightly across my forehead and hair. It's kind of amazing you don't have scars on your face from her. Yeah, I wake up sometimes and her, I mean, her nails are kind of in my head and she doesn't care. Yeah. She doesn't care. So anyways, uh, three scaredy cats. Um, We're like... What do we do with them? Do we just say like... We just count them? We just count them. Um, we kind of got thrown way off of uh, our cat our cat counter when we watched Midnight Mass because there was like hundreds of cats in that one. Oh, yeah. Um, but if you subtract the Midnight Mass cats, I think we're like at about maybe five cats at this point. It four or five reasonable. cats, which is, you know, good. There was a dog, too. There was a dog, too. There yeah. flashbacks. Um, yeah, and... Uh, yeah, in the first movie in the book. I don't think they showed a dog in the last one. Mm. Whatever. Doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, but anyways, that is... Uh, hey, folks, that is Pet Cemetery. Before we go, I wanted to say, let's look at our letterbox ratings uh, and see what our, not only reviews, but our star ratings is. And let's give it a final... Um, uh, a final star rating. I guess we should start with 
the novel. What did you give the novel on Goodreads? I think I gave mine five stars, I want to say. Yeah, I gave it five stars. I really enjoyed it. And I gave it four stars. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah. So divide between the two of us, four and a half stars. Yeah. That's pretty great for a book. Basic math, baby. Um, And then let's look at the 1989 one. Let's see what we gave that. I gave that three and a half. And my review was Pascal the Friendly Ghost, which we didn't even talk about him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but in that 1989 movie, he's he's a king, basically. Don't you think so? Yeah, yeah. Friendly I've, king. Yeah, he was great. Um, and my I reviewed this twice the first time I saw it several years back. Gave it three and a half then. Now I gave it four stars. Um both of them had hearts. And my first review, I said, everyone says this whole thing could have been avoided by putting up a fence around the Creed home. But I say the whole thing could have been avoided if they had just baptized the cat. So that was my first impression. And, so you think he couldn't have been raised from the dead? Um, I think he would have been raised from the dead as a Christian. And he wouldn't have uh, gone on his... I don't think that's how baptism works. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. I don't think he would have been... Uh, no, I don't think if they had baptized him, he would have been able to be raised from the dead by a sinister, dark, demonic force. He would just stay dead. He would just stay dead. He would stay. He would be in paradise with the Lord and the saints before him. Do cats go to heaven? Uh, Sure. If you're not Thomas Aquinas, yeah, then they do. Thomas Aquinas said that they are irrational beings and their souls are uh, annihilated upon death. Okay, absolutely rude. Yeah, so that's why I guess you're not Thomist at the end of the day. <sighs> My second review for that one, I will say, the, I did give it a little bit more uh, fleshing out. I mentioned I didn't like that Norma wasn't in it. Uh, and I did like that Victor, I felt like, played a bigger part in the Victor Pascal mm-hmm. The ghost of the the man, the runner that was killed, and was warning um, the Creed family, especially Lewis, to stay away from messing with the pet cemetery. Um, I said also that Dale Midkiff, who played Lewis Creed, felt a little wooden to me at times. wasn't the greatest actor in my opinion, mm-hmm. and I l- really love Fred Gwynn, but I'm biased for him. Yeah, you. And really I thought are. it was a it was a pretty decent adaptation overall. And I said, R.I.P. Church. So. That was my, uh, that's what I gave it. What was it? What was your star rating? Three and a half. Okay. And I gave it um, uh, four for the second one. So we'll say, yeah, we'll round up to four. You want to round up three or round Three and three down? quarters. Yeah. Three and three quarters. There we go. That's <laughs> what we'd probably round up to four. Okay. Could. I guess. What about the second and final Pet cemetery? The new Pet cemetery. I gave three stars and... Um, I did not give it a review because I had forgotten to review it originally. Yeah. And now I can't remember. (laughs) I did it, you know, just five minutes before we started talking. And I don't, I just, I don't really recall that much. Yeah. That's fine. So that's that. First time I reviewed it, I gave it three and a half stars. Second time I reviewed it, I gave it three. So Mm. we'll just give that a three star movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, My first review was kind of a joke. I said, I did that meme format where it's. Um, two statements and they're shaking hands uh, and yeah. one says Christian ecclesiology and the other one says John Lithgow. They're shaking hands over the quote, you can't kill church. A little inside baseball for all of our oh theology God. nerds out there. Um, but in the second one, it's a little bit more serious. I said this movie was a bit more sadistic and spooky, uh, but it really lacks in character development and relationships, which is what I think makes the movie and the book and the story work. Yeah. Um, so that is our very brief, <laughs> I should say, um, very shortened version of Pet Cemetery. Yeah, because we could go on about all the things in the book that were left out of the movies. There's there's a lot of detail and just slight differences and, I don't know, just more drama. So, yeah. But we won't. Yeah. We'll spare you. So you can go read it if you want. Adam. Yeah. Adam. Adam Jones. How dare you ask us? No, I'm just kidding. Thank you so much for sending a question in. Uh, we love questions. We take them from our Instagram, our Twitter, our um, our email address. You can find us. Let's see here. I have not done. Yeah. So you can 
always write us at happily scaried podcast at gmail.com. You can check us out on Twitter at happily scaried, Instagram at happily scaried podcast, letterboxd at happily scaried. Now, I will say that our letterbox is practically defunct. We're going to get that changed, though. We're going to get that up and running. I promise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, just, uh, yeah, if you ever have any questions or comments. What was the question you asked earlier? Oh, uh, what do you think about Rob Zombie and are you excited about the monsters? What do you think about Rob Zombie and are you excited about the monsters? These are our discussion questions. I can almost guarantee that when the monsters movie comes out in the middle of September, we will be doing a podcast about it. I'll be forcing, I'll do a solo. I mean, if you don't want to participate, I'll literally just go by myself. Let's also have a vote if you'd rather Caleb do a solo episode. Yeah. I might hurt my feelings. But I'm up for hearing it. Would you be willing to put up with a solo episode where it's just like me? It's just like the Bill Burr podcast where he just rants twice a week for like an hour by himself. And he's always like really funny. I don't know how he does it. I think. Do you think you're always funny? No. (laughs) I've thought I've honestly thought I don't know how he sits by himself in a room with a microphone and just talks and makes jokes for an hour. I just don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I I think that'd be easier because you can control what's being said. But if you're having a conversation. But it never like, it it never like, it's like in a lull. It's never boring. Like it's always high energy and he's moving on to the next thing. And Personality, baby. I I don't know. I guess that's why he's a successful stand-up comedian and I'm not. Um, But I think you'd need me to be there to kind of ground you because I think you'd, I think it would just be. I don't know, just be like an hour of you just going into every excruciating detail and praising it up and backwards and forwards and downwards. So it'd be just an hour of me being boring. I hear you <laughs> loud and clear. Not boring. Just people don't care about the information. Well, on that note, <laughs> we are going to bid you adieu for now. Uh, I don't know what we're going to watch next or what our next podcast is going to be, um, but we'll make sure let to keep you in the decide. loop. Yeah, we'll let fate decide. If the if the fates allow, gosh, Christmas is going to be here before you know it. Let's focus on Halloween. All right. For right now. We'll get to the Halloween season soon. Well, Elise, is there anything you'd like to tell our guests before we go? Oh, yes. Uh, may you live happily, scary after. There you have it, folks. We'll see you next time. I don't want to be buried in a big cemetery. to the sacred place to see the dream.